know, athletes, celebrities, uh, Fortune 100 companies has really recognize or helped me recognize how I can provide the most value and service to the world. And that is coming in the form of how to help people stand out in very noisy and oversaturated markets. And the reality of the situation is that's every market because the world that we live in today, there's over 60 billion messages sent out on digital platforms each day between social media, push notifications, text messages, things of that nature. So what that actually means is you no longer live in a world where you're just competing against your direct competition. You're competing against everybody, every piece of content for attention. And that's really what we help people master is to really stand out in this very noisy and oversaturated world so that we can get your core consumers or partners or whatever you're going after to pay attention to what you have to say. Because if you aren't able to win that first part of that conversation and get people to stop, then they'll never recognize your true genius or your product or service because they'll never get to that part of the conversation. Gotcha. Could you describe the the hook point framework that you write about in the book, um, which will give people a little bit of a way to compartmentalize this concept? Yeah, let's let's first talk about what a hook point is. So a hook point is designed at the highest level is to grab attention. And, and that attention can in the form of scale of reaching millions of people and capturing that attention or you know, we've used it to capture the attention of like a major executive or CEO of a major corporation to land a big deal. And there's really three core pillars to creating a successful hook point. Number one is, can you get people to stop? Just stop in the first three to five seconds. And the analogy I like to use is just, you imagine you're opening up Instagram and people are, are, are constantly scrolling. How do you get them to stop? What is that pattern interruption? that gets them to pay attention to what you have to say is, and again, you're competing against everybody. So just imagine somebody watching Netflix trailer. They just watch Kevin Hart tell a joke or the rock working out or Kim Kardashian talking about fashion. And then your video or your ad comes up. What is that hook? That's just going to at first bare minimum, just get somebody to stop the scroll and say, I want to learn what this is about. Then it goes into the core. The second core pillar is what uh, is the story that you're going to tell to retain that attention? Because we're not talking about clickbait here because clickbait falls apart when people realize that they've been baited into that click or, or that stopping. So it's really important to construct the stories. And we work with people to construct that story, to hold that attention and express that value that we want to deliver to the person viewing or the person listening if it's offline which then plays into the third core pillar is, is do people believe it? Do people trust it? So now all three of these have to play together in order for to be successful. And without that initial pattern interruption, without that initial getting people to stop, you never get to the story. And if you grab their attention, but your story sucks or you've clickbaited them, then you lose that attention. If you grab their attention, your story's good, but people don't believe it, it falls apart. So that's what we look at in terms of, of hook points. Uh, mm-hmm. and this pl- applies online and offline, and it works for any industry, and every industry needs it. And whether you're going B2C to, B to or B2B, it's, it's critically important. Okay. I'd like, to, I'd like to build on the third pillar that you mentioned. So what I understood there was 
The first pillar is simply getting them to stop. That You've got to get them to stop that scrolling and just pay attention to something that happens in that first three seconds. Get them to stop, number one. Number two, hold their attention. Get them to decide to, to take that next step and, and go deeper. And then number three is to build credibility and trust. And there's a quote from the book that I really like, which is that if, and I think this refers to the third pillar, if you describe people's problems better than they can, they'll subconsciously believe that you have the solution. Is that what happens in the third pillar? That's one way of doing it. Yes. Is, and that's, you know, that quote comes from Craig Clemens, who's, who's sold over a billion dollars worth of product online. And that's, that, that's happening on the subconscious level. Now, trust and credibility can happen on the subconscious or it can happen on the conscious level. But the reality of the situation is, is and like, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be thinking about that core pillar of like, well, how do I do this in an authentic way? How do I build that trust? It should come naturally with what you're offering and what you're expressing. You know, typically that trust and credibility standpoint falls apart if a you're not communicating contextually in a way that reaches a wide audience uh, or b you don't feel comfortable in the way that you're expressing your message or your story or c you're using clickbait or misleading people in some way so that's typically where it breaks down and as you remember from the book we talk about the communication framework that we use in everything that we do called process communication model and we work with clients in training them in that because it's critically important that when you're developing a story or developing a message, it, it can reach the widest audience possible. Because what happens is typically when people are designing an ad or uh, designing a piece of content, they're designing it for themselves instead of the audience. And, and you, you've got to be really careful with that because if you're just communicating in the way that, that you like to be communicated in and using the words and, and phrases uh, that resonate with you, but not other ways that per perceive the world, that can, can uh, inhibit your ability to retain that attention. And also going back to the trust and credibility, it can destroy that trust and credibility. Mm -hmm. That was great because that actually... That actually dovetails into a, uh, one of the highlights that I made in the book. The PCM, um, or what, what's referred to as PCM, the process communication model, has a few different components. And I want to read a little part here, and I'd, lo I'd love for you to comment on this. You have different types of experiences. People with different personalities experience the world in a different way. The so-called thinkers perceive the world through thoughts, and logic is their currency. Persisters perceive the world through opinions and value is their currency. Harmonizers perceive the world through emotions and compassion is their currency. Imaginers perceive the world through in inactions and imagination is their currency. Rebels perceive the world through reactions and humor is their currency. And finally, promoters perceive the world through actions and charm is their currency. So there we have, I guess, about six different personality types and what is the underlying motivator and, and basically what, how do they perceive the world? And are you saying through this framework that you ought to be testing or incorporating multiple of these different personality types in the way that you communicate the, the message? Yeah. So essentially with the process communication model, we view it, we view communication as math. 
So each one of those has a, a percentage associated with it. So feelings and emotions, people who, who the harmonizer, that represents 30% of the North American population is like thoughts and logic is, is 25%. You know, the, the rebel through humor and fun is another 20, 20%. And you go so on and so forth. And that's what I was talking about last time is, listen, if I perceive the world through values and I'm just talking about my opinions and my beliefs, that's only 10% of the North American population. So if that's all that I speak about, I'm only going to reach 10%. It's going to turn off the other 90%. So what we look at, and we, we talk about the big three, feelings, facts, and fun. That represents about 75% of the North American population. So what we do is, in working with clients, is we never change who somebody is. We never change their product or service. We don't change their brand. We just change how they contextualize their communication to reach that widest audience possible. So, for example, is if I was to sell a car, for example, I may you know sell a car in some in a way like this. This is the best car in this class. It has over it has less than 10 miles per gallon. So by far, you're going to get the most bang for your buck with this. And when you drive this car, you're going to feel so good. It's one of the most comfortable cars ever. And when your friends see it, they're going to go crazy. You guys are going to have so much fun because the audio system is amazing. You're going to have these dance parties when you're sitting at the the stoplight and it's going to be a crazy amount of fun. And I firmly believe that you should really check out this car because it's going to be the right fit for you and for your family. So what I did with that is I just, you know, I hit on the facts with the miles per gallon and best in the class, what it's going to make you feel, how fun it's going to be and sharing my opinion. So there I, I, I wrap that message in that ad in a way that could reach 85 plus percent of the North American population. Now where most people go wrong is again, they may just focus on one part. They may just focus on the facts and the data or the, just the feelings and emotions or, or just the opinions or just the fun. And, and we contextualize that message in, in such a way to hit all of them. One of the best videos to look at that did this extremely well is the, the original Dollar Shave Club launch video. They hit all of them. And, and that's why that video was so wildly successful in launching that business. Great. Uh, I'd like to now ask you about a concept that I also, I, I find really interesting and, and also there's a lot of debate. And this, this has to do with t- types of video content being either on the side of brand building or on the side of direct response. And I would just want to read another quick quote here uh, from the book. The majority of people simply make the mistake of taking brand building content and turning it into a direct response piece of content or vice versa. However, I've been experimenting, researching, and testing how both brand building and direct response content can play off each other. And thus far, the results have been remarkable. I would love to know more about what kind of testing you're referring to there. Yeah, so let's dig into that. So I would say the biggest problem people have, especially when we're working with brands and corporations, is they're using organic content uh, or they're treating organic content like it's just another ad. 
is they're so focused on like we have clients that are vitamin supplement companies and we, and they'll just post a photo of a, a, a pill bottle or a vitamin bottle, which is an ad. People don't go to social media to see ads or they get so focused on the color, the tonality, the branding side of it versus what social media is about is engaging. You know, is the, the two core principles that you need to know to be successful social media is one, do you get somebody to stop and pay attention to stop the scroll on all the major social networks on YouTube? It's get the click. And two, how long do you retain their attention? It's not people don't consumers don't look at an account and be like, oh, well, this is tonally off or the colors are off. So I'm not going to engage with it or this isn't professionally shot. So I'm not going to pay attention to it. So that's a huge mistake that people make. And then also another big mistake people make is that they think that, hey, I'm just going to do this engaging organic piece of content. And all of a sudden people are going to start buying my products or services. So what we do is we we look at both of those and, and leverage them off of each other is we will create both on the organic and paid side, uh, very uh, entertaining, engaging content that plays to those two principles that the social algorithms are looking for, which is grabbing attention and retaining it, retaining attention and generate as much reach, generate as much engagement off of it. And then what we do is we build audiences, both uh, custom audiences of all those people in, that engaged with it, uh, but also some lookalike audiences as well. And then we'll create retargeting ads that are more direct response focused that are go check out this product, go check out this service. Because what we see is you really need to, most of the time, unless your your ad creative for direct response is amazing, which there are some people out there that, that are that good, but most people aren't. Uh, we see that you have to earn the right to market. You have to earn the right to make that sale. So that's where we combine the two of them. Now, if you wanna look at a content creator that is a master at achieving both in the same content is the, the agency the Harmon brothers. They did like the squatty potty. They, they did um, a campaign for chat books, a company I worked with and they master that both in the same video, but it's very, very difficult to pull that off. So that's why we, we delineate between the two and work really hard to leverage one off of each other. Mm -hmm. So effectively, what you're saying is the uh, the first the first ad being more of just the attention grabbing ad is your uh, this is you asking permission for the right to remarket to them later as a uh, in in a custom audience or or a lookalike audience. But do you still have to make the connection between that first uh, that first video or that first ad and the second ad? Shouldn't there be a common a common theme um, that's delineated across both of those? Well, first off to what you said is asking permission. That's happening subconsciously. It's not like consciously we're asking permission to market to them. Uh, to your second question, there should be some connection where people understand, oh, I watched this and that. Like I'll give you an example that we we listed in our first book, One Million Followers, uh, where my friend who's the chief strategy officer for a company called Shareability, which is one of the top viral video companies on the planet for major brands, and they were doing a campaign for Cricket Wireless. And they started with two organic hero videos uh, with the wrestler John Cena. And it was John Cena Reacts. 
So they had fans talking about how much they love John Cena, and then he would jump out through the wall and surprise them, and he would get this reaction. Super viral, generated over 200 million views organically, and then they pushed some paid behind it as well. And then what they did is they created retargeting ads, hitting all the people that viewed and engaged it with John Cena saying, hey guys, thanks so much for checking out my video, John Cena Reacts. You know, if you enjoyed it, definitely go and check out my friends at Cricket Wireless. They have amazing XYZ service. So there's that through line and connection where you know that it shouldn't be like completely night and day where you can't even connect the two. So there should be some type of through line or extension with that. Okay. I'd like to get a little bit into the psychology of that first attention grabbing hook and there's a couple of examples that I thought were quite um, amusing from the book. One is that in the first three seconds, someone puts a, a red cup on the table and then a fist just smashes it and then it gets picked up and put back on the table. So that's that's it. Um, and the other is that somebody sticks their fingers into this huge bowl of of just gooey, jelloey mess and they just sink their fingers into this goo. Um, and there's something that you mentioned there that is satisfying it provides a it provides a sense of satisfaction to the viewer uh, and I totally agree and I can't put my finger on why that those two things are so satisfying but they really are something getting smashed or someone just sticking their fingers into something really gooey and gross but what is it about that why is that why is that satisfying and how can that actually be helpful as a hook point so uh, so there's two questions in there. The first one is why is it satisfying? Well, so my creative director uh, created those uh, for the previous company he was managing and they did those type of videos to building up to like three and a half billion views a month. So why is it satisfying? Well, one is because of the way they shoot it. They shoot it in such a way where it, it, it makes your subconscious believe that you actually took that action that you smash that cup, that you put your hands in there. And that triggers that kind of pleasure or that um, sense of accomplishment. And it sounds silly, like smashing a cup, is, uh, a cup is a sense of accomplishment, but it is like you're taking an action. You're achieving that action, even if it's very small, successfully. So that's where I think that that comes from is tying deeper into the subconscious. I don't think people consciously are saying Oh, that's pleasurable, or or that was you know, uh, or an accomplishment. Number two is like, hook points are just there to get you to stop, and that hook point can come in the form of many different ways. It could be verbal, it could be text, or it could just be visual, and that's where I think a lot of people uh, get mixed up is they they think that the only way to grab attention is if I say something, or if I write something. Which, listen, that works, and we use it a lot, but there's other ways that you can express it. There's another example that we broke down in the book as well is uh, Tesla and the Cybertruck. Now, everybody called the Cybertruck the ugly truck. And, you know, there's huge polarization of, is this truck the coolest-looking truck built, or is it the ugliest-looking truck? But regardless it grabs your attention. And some people say that Elon designed it to be ugly on purpose 
to have that level of attention. And they set records for number of pre-orders. I don't know the exact numbers, but it was like 250,000 pre-orders in like the first month or so, which was unprecedented for any other car. But just visually looking at that thing, it hooks you in without even saying anything. You could just drive that car down the road or show a picture of that car and you're going to stop and want to learn more about that. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend also including the brand in those first three seconds or? No. Okay. Cause I've, I've actually when uh, a few years back when I was at Google and um, we, we were getting trained on uh, YouTube video, basically uh, how to create effective YouTube videos and they would say the most important thing is to show the brand from the opening frame so that even if people skip and most people who are going to skip that ad, they will have at least seen the brand. But do you agree with that? Well, you're talking about two different things. You're talking about an ad, which you're paying for reach versus organic. They're two mm -hmm. separate. But even with an ad, I wouldn't. I understand the methodology, but I it's almost lazy because what that's telling me is we don't believe that our ad is good enough to retain the attention long enough that we can get people in. So what we're going to do is just front load it with ads. So every impression we're just consciously and subconsciously imprinting that logo or that brand in the beginning of it, which can that work? Sure. But you got to spend a tremendous amount of money and maybe for like a Google or for like a Nike, it can work. But for the average person, I wouldn't. And I, I think, again, just going back to is that what that's telling me is you just don't believe enough in your creative that you're, you're already saying people are, are going to know this is an ad. So they're automatically going to skip over it versus how do we intelligently design an ad to do it? Like there's a great example. I believe it's in the book, um, but Geico created, created, um, these YouTube, uh, ads, skippable ads. And they said, you can't skip this ad because it's already over. And there was a, there was like a, a, a family dinner scene as they said that. And then all the people froze. And then there was a dog that came up on the table and started eating all the food. And so it's like that, that type of creativity is like where you have the most impact. Mm -hmm. uh, that's great. I, I would like to ask you about a, a particular um, sequence, a creative sequence that I've been researching lately and talking with some of our clients about, and it's on YouTube here. And it's called the Tease Amplify Echo sequence. And it's actually, it's a remarketing sequence for sequential storytelling. It starts with a six second bumper ad, which is a non-skippable format. And then you have a certain number of frequency of views on that. Then you take that audience to the next, to the next video, which is the so-called amplify video. That's your big 20 or 30 second spot video. You get a certain frequency on that. And then you move them to the, to the last step, which is called the echo, which again is a small uh, six second bumper that, that echoes back to the main messages of the, the, the middle video, the big amplify video. And, we are experimenting with running those alongside TV TV spots so that the TV spot corresponds to the Amplify step two of that video sequence on YouTube. Um, 
Would you have any advice if, let's say, uh, someone like me or, or a client of yours is intrigued by this sequence? First of all, do you believe that it sounds logical that um, that you could have a tease, amplify, echo, and and um, and what would you do with a with a format like that? Well, to me, I would look at the creative because everything comes down to creative. Can that format work? Sure. But if you put shitty creative into it, it's not going to work. If you put great, great creative into it, it's, it's, it's going to work. So it's, to me, it's like any format or strategy or structure for advertising or organic is highly dependent on the creative that you're generating. So what you said logically makes sense. And I believe it can potentially work. But to me, it's like, well, what is the creative in each one of those steps? What is, and even with each of those three steps in, in different creative formats, I still firmly feel that you need to have, even if it's a six second spot, you've got to get somebody to pay attention in that first, first one to three seconds or in each, each sequence, because otherwise, again, like we were just talking about, you're just pushing content. And advertising, you know, especially in social allows you to do that, which is amazing, but we're not in the business of pushing content. We're in the business of capturing attention, retaining that attention to get somebody to perform a specific action. Gotcha. All right. Um, I think now I'd like to, to transition into maybe just some, some more broad, uh, questions, um, about your career and, and uh, maybe some other personal related. Um, can you tell me any, any major mistakes that you've made throughout your career that, that you've really learned from and how that's affected you? Well, I make mistakes every day. And I think that that's one of the biggest learning experiences uh, that, that have helped me grow and help other people grow is understanding that those mistakes are, are just stepping stones to learn from. And we're all human beings that make mistakes. So sure, there's plenty of ones. Like, I mean, where I started my career, I wanted to be a film producer. Showed up to LA and realized that there was millions of people moving to LA to do that same thing. And I thought my ability to just say that I wanted to be a film producer would make me stand out. And obviously that, that didn't work. So I had to take a step back and come up with a hook point to get me to stand out so that I could go from making, you know, copy and coffee to being called into meetings with major studio heads to be called into meetings with directors and celebrities. So I, I, I don't know if that, I call that a mistake, but it was general, it was, you know, a, a big learning experience. Another one is, you know, I, I created a, a startup and raised several million dollars for it. And I made the mistake of building a technology product uh, and spending over a year building all these crazy features and, you know, essentially building this whole enterprise level thing without even testing incrementally. And then we built and launched this thing and realized that the users were only using 5% of what we built. So it really taught me the importance of not being perfect and constantly testing and iterating uh, to, to figure out what is really needed. What do our consumers really want? Uh, and, and, and build things from, from that perspective. Got it. So, Brendan, is there anything that in particular either keeps you up at night or makes you jump out of bed in the morning? 
I mean, there's always constant sense of fear and anxiety that, that, you know, and I'm working on that from instilled in me since early childhood. I had early, you know, early childhood trauma, like most of us have. And, you know, that keeps me up at night, but that's something that I work on all the time. Uh, and, and what gets me up in the morning is, is really learning. I love learning new things and, and deconstructing things down to its basic form and then figuring out how you can rebuild it and scale it. That's what's always fascinating to me in connecting with other people that have amassed an incredible amount of success and understanding their methodologies, their approaches, and then again, deconstructing them and figuring out how you can scale it and take it to the next level. Great. Are you working on a next book or is that something that's uh, still a secret? I mean, I have no secrets. We, we, I have an idea for a third book around really around communication at scale. Uh, but we're not ready to pull the trigger on it yet because hook point just came out, launched a, an entirely new consulting firm around it. So we've really got our, our hands full in, uh, and putting all of that together right now. But I do have an idea for a third book. There will be a third book. Timeline is is still to be seen. All right. Intriguing. Brendan, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like our audience to know? No, I think you asked some really, uh, really smart and, and great questions. And uh, yeah, I think that we covered a lot of ground today. To me, again, if there's there's one thing that you take away from today is what we've learned in our success in today's very noisy world. All you've got to do is master two things, getting people to stop and retaining that attention as long as possible. If you can do those two things, you will ultimately be successful online and social media offline. Everything will come together. Now it's very simple, but it's not necessarily easy. It takes practice. It takes work. And that's why I spent the past two years putting all that information into the book on how to, how to master that. That's great. So Brendan, where can people find you online? They can uh, direct message me on Instagram at Brendan Kane. They can email me at bkane at brendanjkane.com. If they want to check out the hook point book, they can go to book.hookpoint.com. They can get it from any other major retailer but if you go to book.hookpoint.com, you can get access to a, a free masterclass that comes along with the book. Uh, if they're interested in the 1 million followers book, they can visit 1millionfollowers.com. That's awesome. So again, everybody, the book is titled Hook Point, How to Stand Out in a Three-Second World. So think about those three seconds. They're, they're absolutely crucial. Brendan, thank you so much for, for being on with me today. Yeah, uh, really thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Bye.